Welcome to another message from the teaching team at Elevation Church Australia. For more information about our church, service times and locations, visit elevationchurch.com.au. It's great to uh, be with you this morning on Good Friday. And uh, for those of you that don't know who I am, my name is Ross Abraham and along with Kathy, we get to uh, lead Elevation and um, also our network of churches, INC. It's great to have you at our Good Friday service. And if you are a visitor here, you're most welcome. No doubt that you've heard probably a little bit of the Easter story this morning and maybe, you know, just, just you know, smidgets here and there. And uh, what I want to do, to do in just the time that we have, which is only a short time this morning, is just unpack one uh, thought around Jesus upon the cross and what he did for you and I. I want to read to you from the book of Hebrews, which in the New Testament, chapter 12 and verse 2. And the writer of Hebrews is talking about uh, basically what Jesus did upon the cross. And it says this, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It it says here that because of the joy that was set before him, and let me fill in the blanks, that joy is you and I. It was the picture of a reconnection with humanity, of why Jesus went to the cross, of forgiveness for our sin, for everything we've ever done and will do, that he would go to a cross to reconnect and to rebuild the bridge from God to us. And that was the joy. That was the picture that he had that enabled him to endure the cross. And we don't actually know a lot about the cross and uh, the significance of the cross gets lost because we're so far away from when it was used 2,000 years ago as an instrument of execution. And whenever you read through the Scripture, there's actually not a lot of detail about the cross. And that is, that's there for a reason, or it's not there for a reason. It's actually because the writers didn't want to rehearse what they saw their Saviour go through. There is no description because there was no mystery for the first century believer. C.S. Lewis said this, the crucifixion, did not become common through art until all who had seen a real one had died off. For 300 years following the death of Christ, the cross was not used as a symbol of Christianity. Not only was the cross not a symbol of Christianity, but the church fathers, the guys that came after, Peter, John, Matthew, and all of that, all that crew, the next group to lead the church, it was against their law for Christians to draw or in any way depict a cross because they had actually seen one used. They had seen their, their Saviour die upon one and there was nothing glamorous romantic or spiritual about the cross. They never happened in a hidden place. They only ever happened in the most public places and they served as a reminder of what might happen to any person that stood against Rome. And so when you consider what the writer of Hebrews says, when he said, Jesus, because of the joy set before him, endured the cross, went through the ultimate shame and embarrassment of dying a criminal's death 
because of the love that He saw for you and I, and that one day we would find a forgiveness for the sin in our life. But then it goes on and it says this, He also despised the shame. When you understand this word despised in the original language, it actually means this. It means to think little of or to think nothing of at all. Uh, I am an A-type personality. And a few things you need to know about me. I, uh, most of my life, have been a very driven person. Uh, and at, at, at a driven person's purest, it's, it's a, you know, it's a, I'm a wonderful specimen. You know, at my purest, um, I'm a great husband, I'm a great leader, I'm a great person in general. That's my take anyway. <laughs> at its impurest, people like me uh, tend to have a lot of flaws that show quite easily. And one of those flaws for me, which really has been a part of my life and part of my journey pre-becoming a follower of Christ uh, 35, 36 years ago to still struggling and working with this today is this subject of shame, failure, the sense of deep embarrassment. I have a picture here of what they called stocks and pillory. And when you understand that shame has always been a part of the culture of humanity, it's always been from right back in the Garden of Eden, our great four parents, Adam and Eve, that the moment they disobeyed God, they went and they stepped from a life without shame. The Bible says that they were naked and unashamed. And within a moment, they were found themselves clothed, and Scripture says, and in deep shame. And ever since that moment, it has been a blight, a stain on the heart of humanity, this subject of shame. And I don't have the time to unpack all of it this morning because we'd be here for several weeks. But my prayer is today that maybe a little aha moment can come in your life as it has in my life to become a little bit more aware. And maybe you have a therapist that you talk to or a, a life group leader that you talk to, someone that you can talk with about this subject. Because right back from the times of the cross, right through history, when you see pictures like this, that they used to shame people that were caught for, for any criminal offence from, from as tragic as murder to right through to stealing a loaf of bread. They would get the person, often children, with their hands and their head in the stocks and, and they would uh, uh, leave them there for days on end and parade people by. That would be in the city square so everyone could see. And people would throw rubbish at them. They'd throw dung at them. They'd, they'd spit upon these people in a way to shame them from their behaviour, hoping that shame would somehow change their behaviour. And when you think about it today, here we are in the 21st century, and yet we still see it today. You, you make a mistake on uh, on, with the media, as we've seen this week with our Prime Minister and Prime Minister-elect, that, that people will shame you. Uh, you. You make a mistake on Instagram and no longer is it something that people forget about. They'll bring it out 20 years later, 10 years later, a photograph or something to shame you. We saw it in the debate over vaccinations and non-vaccinations and masks and non-masks and is it a conspiracy and is COVID not? But oftentimes the modus operandi of people from one point of power was to shame you to believe what they believed. 
And yet all it did was cause deeper division in the hearts and in our nation. So at its essence, what is shame? Let me unpack that for you this morning. Shame, a painful sense of humiliation, embarrassment, or self-condemnation that will lead you to see yourself and your experiences with great disapproval and disdain. So it's not just a sense of humiliation, it is a powerful sense. And I've been in this role of working with people now for many, many years. And I wish that somewhere in my life I'd had insight to this as a young person starting leading in youth ministry to understand that a lot of the way I operated wasn't actually to bring out the best in people. It was actually a form of guilt upon people. Oftentimes you'll find faith communities or churches can slip into this and we don't mean to, but we do where we almost guilt people into action rather than inspiring people. And shame becomes this deep sense of humiliation. That is why around the world today that, that you cut someone off in traffic, oftentimes, you know, uh, uh, a well-meaning venture to the right or to the left and someone beeps their horn and they pull up beside you, they give you the international symbol of peace and, and, and there's, there's no love and it, it, it escalates and cars pull over and suddenly there's a fatality because someone pulled a knife and, and, and you see all this. But you know what is deep behind all of it is this deep sense, this painful sense of don't you embarrass me, don't you humiliate me. It is a stain, it is a blight upon humanity called shame. And it's been there since Adam and Eve wrestled with this by being disobedient to God. And I wanna show the difference because guilt is action-based. Guilt says, I did something wrong. Shame is identity-based and shame says, I am someone wrong and therefore now I am unlovable. Shame will impact you in three areas. It'll impact how you see your past, how you see yourself, and how you process flaws, sins, struggles, failures, and weaknesses. In dealing with this topic of shame, there is a word called schema. And schema is a powerful core belief and feeling that we accept and live by without question. We all have schemas. Some are good, some are negative in our life. And they are core beliefs. We just have adopted them in our life. We've never questioned them. We've never pushed back against them. We've never really unpacked them. We just see them as, well, that's just the way I am. And from its conception, our schema has played a pivotal role in our navigation of the world helping us to make sense of it. It functions like an unspoken spoken law for you and I. But when we have a faulty schema, our core belief makes us feel internally flawed in some critical way. It leads us to feel that if people get close to us, they will see our defects and they may reject us. And what happens is this, is that you messages normally from people in power, such as parents and loved ones and teachers and employers and best friends, you messages over time become an I message. And so where people have said to you in your past, you're not good enough, over time a schema develops and it tells us that I am not good enough. And when you look at Adam and Eve in the garden, 
not only did they try and clothe themselves because of the shame, but the first thing they did is they hid themselves. They cut themselves off from connection with God because suddenly they felt like in some way they were inferior and if God ever got close to them, He probably wouldn't like what's in them. And in oftentimes in our thinking as Christians and as a faith community, we often have this false thinking that if I am transforming and becoming like Christ, then God delights in that. But we don't understand that God delights in you whether you're transforming or not. You are loved. You are valued. You are important. You are a person that Good Friday celebrates where Jesus died for you and I, whether you feel like you are becoming like Him or not, or whether you feel like you are stuck in the way you were, God delights in you. Other schemas can be when you're told you're not pretty enough and then we develop over life and think, well, I am ugly or you're not slim enough and we spend our life thinking, I am fat, I'm overweight, or you have failed becomes I am a failure. You see, Satan's main job isn't temptation, it's accusation. And that's where he prides himself in the 21st century. It's reminding you that you aren't who you want to be, that you are still that person that maybe someone had highlighted in your life and shame and embarrassment and self-condemnation and humiliation keeps us trapped in that. And I have had and am having a personal uh, uh, revival in this space in my life because when I look through the church world, I see so many in particular men who find themselves trapped in this self-condemnation language always beating themselves up, always feeling inferior. And to combat that, we often come out and try and be over the top strong. And to see healing coming into the hearts of men and women across this nation. The book of First John, chapter four, verse nine and 10, says it like this, that God showed how much He loved us by sending His one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through Him. Verse 10, this is real love. I want you to hear this. Not that we loved God. This isn't about, well, I made a move for God and now God's moving back towards me. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. It's in this relationship with a God who delights in you that heals shame. It's not through changing our behaviour. It's through understanding that you and I on this Good Friday service are deeply loved by God. And your schema right now say, yeah, but he doesn't know what you did. He doesn't know what you said to your kids or your wife or your partner before you got into the car this morning. Oh, yes, he does. And he still says you are deeply loved. Jesus despised the shame of the cross. He thought nothing of it or he thought very little of it. And folks, this morning for you and I, Jesus looks upon the shame in our life and He thinks little of it or nothing of it as in any way it can hinder His relationship with you. 
He despised the shame that tries to rob us of intimacy with Christ and with each other. He despises the shame of people this morning who feel trapped in pornographic behaviour. He despises the shame of people this morning that may have hidden and secret abuse. He despises the shame of promiscuous sexual behaviour in our past or in our present. He despises the shame of never feeling validated by a parent. He despises the shame of a failed marriage or multiple marriages. He despises the shame of a child whose life has not made you proud for what their decisions that they have made. He despises the shame of a business person that has failed and feels inadequate in their faith. He despises the shame of anyone today that feels sexually confused. He says, that doesn't alter the way I feel about you. That's why I endured the cross. That's why I think nothing of the shame that you feel this morning that's gonna stop my love for you. If the musicians can come. Most of us, although we've been forgiven by Christ, although our sins He does not hold against us and He remembers them no more, Most of us are still living with, consumed by, or driven by shame-based thinking. We still believe that somehow something in our life is wrong and that we are something that God says we're not. We still believe that deep down inside, somehow we are deeply flawed and unlovable. Let me read to you one last verse. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It's one of my favourite verses that's really come out in a new revelation and understanding for me personally. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Again, it's in the New Testament. And it says this. This is God's words about you and I. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus So we can do all the good things He planned for us long ago. I want you to think about this for a moment. I don't know whether you've ever considered yourself a masterpiece. Most of us don't look at the the mirror and have for those older than 50, the happy days, the Fonzie moment, where you go to do your hair and go, hey, why touch perfection? I have that most mornings. I don't know whether most of us look at our, if we're married, our spouse as a masterpiece. I think we tend to, as life goes on, begin to see what they're not more than what they are. We probably don't look at our kids at the height of their misbehaviour as masterpieces. We certainly don't look at one another in faith communities as a masterpiece. We, we tend to say, did you hear about what, you know? And, and yet when we have a, understanding that the person sitting next to you, behind you, in front of you, this verse relates to them the same way it relates to you. The person that right now this morning is, finds himself incarcerated. The person that finds himself this morning in a foster home without any parental love. For the young person today that's sleeping on the street or walking the streets of Sydney tonight hoping to make some money by selling themselves. When we understand that they are God's masterpiece,
This word masterpiece actually means, in the Greek, it means poema. And what it refers to is not just a, because when we think of masterpiece, it's, it's hard to, you know, depending on who you are, uh, uh, what a masterpiece is. But a masterpiece, the original language talks about, it means any form of art. So it can be a poem. When you think about it, you, you are God's poem. You're God's story. He's writing your story. The book's not finished yet. There's still chapters to write. You're God's piece of art. You're His vessel, His sculpture. And it's a a moment for this Good Friday where I want to encourage us. And like I said, this has been a journey for me and still is. And it's something that I do take to a counsellor and I do talk to my wife about very openly about. Because I want to be that person that can look in the mirror and go, you're God's masterpiece. Because I've spent 56 of my years looking in the mirror and looking at what God got wrong and not what God got right. And when shame-based thinking is deep within all of us, that's normally the way we operate. But folks, this morning, the good news is that Jesus despises the shame. That upon that cross, the shame that was keeping us separated from God, He doesn't look at. He looks over it and He sees you. I wanna show you one last picture. This is a Kintsugi pot. Kintsugi is the Japanese art of putting broken pottery pieces back together with gold. It's built on the idea that embracing flaws and imperfections, you can create an even stronger, more beautiful piece of art. Every break is unique. And instead of repairing an item like new, the 400-year-old technique actually highlights the scars as part of the design. Healing will come and the Kintsugi Master, Jesus, will put all of our fragments back together again. That's the way we need to see ourselves. Sure, there may have been flaws. Sure, there may have been things that went wrong. God, through His grace, despising the shame because He endured the cross, puts the pottery back together again and laces it with gold. The gold is your story. It's a story of how you found the deep love of a Saviour that this Good Friday gave His life for each and every one of us. In the first century, the cross was a symbol of shame, but today it's a symbol of hope. It's God's invitation for each and every one of us. And right now I'm gonna close and we're about to have one more worship song. But I know this morning that there would be some people here today and maybe you came with a friend or you just kind of rocked up, you're here. Maybe you've been turned off churches because you felt that deep sense of shame and it was only accentuated by things said to you about you, the way that people maybe ostracised you, I don't know. Maybe you've been hurt 
in church circles because you saw people on the platform one thing, but in reality, that was something else. I don't know. But whatever has happened in your life, maybe there's a brokenness in your vessel that God wants to put back together again. And maybe this morning you've never surrendered your life to Christ. You've never actually said, Jesus, if, if this is true, if you actually died for me, if you actually endured the pain of the cross, despised the shame and embarrassment to restore relationship with me, then, then I wanna know a little bit more about that. I don't need to have all the answers. I just need to know that I wanna start this journey of discovering who Jesus is. And so just briefly, I'd love us all just to close our eyes for a moment. And I'm gonna look across. And this morning, if you say, hey, Ross, this morning, I, I, I want to take that first step in knowing a little bit more about Jesus. I just want you to slip your hand up in the air wherever you are right now. As I look across, just go, hey, Ross, that's me this morning. I, I wanna know what it is to surrender my life to Christ. I wanna know what it is to actually have a relationship with Jesus this morning. Right where you're seated, as I look across, just lift it up high and go, yep, that's me. I know that things aren't right in my life with God. And this morning, this Good Friday service, thank you. So right in the middle, you can put it down. Who else this morning? Just wanna say, yeah, that's me. I'm gonna join that young man and go, you know what? I don't have that relationship. I've been avoiding this, but this morning I wanna surrender my life or at least start the discussion to Jesus. Thank you, young lady, you can put it down. Who else? Last time as I look across, I don't wanna miss anyone this morning. And then I wanna pray for you. Okay, let me just pray for you this morning. Father, over each and every person in this place this morning, Father, I pray and I'm so grateful this morning that Jesus, when you went to the cross, when you endured the ultimate humiliation and shame, you did it for us. That you have taken upon yourself the shame that we find ourselves trapped so deeply in, that keeps us away from others, that keeps us away from you. And I pray this morning, God, on this Easter weekend, let that aha moment drop in each and every one of our hearts and help us to begin the journey of being free from this sense of shame. Father, I thank You for that young couple that lifted their hand this morning. I pray, Lord, as they begin this journey of walking with You, I pray, Father, that their life will never, ever be the same. That they would know what it is to be forgiven. And I thank You for it in Your wonderful Name. Amen.